0: Hello again, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the Saturday Morning Sports Emporium. My name's Justin Lee. I'm joined by Adam Swenson and Brandon Lee. Good afternoon, gentlemen.
1: Hey, guys. Hey.
0: So, it's been a little while since we've been on the air, and Lord knows we've talked enough about Tigers baseball and Al Avila and all those things. It is time for us to finally weigh in on the firing of the Tigers, now former general manager. We'll also jump in to a little bit of football, a little bit of college sports, as it is the end of August here in 2022. And of course, other things are just around the corner that uh, we might not touch on this week. But soon enough, lots of Tigers coming up next.
2: So, aloe has is gone. That should fix everything, right? No no
1: no uh, the, for those listening we're, we're shaking our head no so. no
0: and, and and so let's let's break this down real quick and i think we, we we really got into this in the last show is the fact of the matter is ultimately alavila was accountable for the wins and loss record of the tigers this season because he's the head of the baseball operations and this season probably not his fault directly and really it was the culmination of a whole lot of factors that was his undoing and and what i mean by this season not being his fault meaning the insane amount of injuries to the pitching staff and the um catastrophically bad offense And, and and he's still ultimately responsible because again head of baseball operations You're accountable. You have to be accountable. And it was the right decision to let him go. There's no question about that. I was a little surprised by the timing, to be honest. Um, So definitely curious as to hear your guys' thoughts on the timing. But, um, but, But there's a lot to be said here about where the blame and the root cause of this year's issues really have come from. But what are your thoughts on timing and so on and so forth?
1: So so you're absolutely right on timing. The the timing was a real head-scratcher. And I think it's important to kind of take that into context because I think that kind of gives you an idea maybe as to how they're going to necessarily approach going forward, right? Um, I, I think from a timely perspective, perspective specifically, I'm wondering, you know, I, I think sometimes you assume, oh, well, they want to get out in front and, and be able to kind of take a look at the, uh, um, uh, you know, what, you know, the candidates that are out there. Um, I, I tend to believe that. And, and the other question would be is. Who is Chris Illich and the Illich family talking to? Who, who really said, hey, you really need to move forward from Al uh, because this, this, and this? And I'm wondering how, many of, how much of that is uh, former Tiger's? Uh, that have been very vocal, uh, probably even uh, Jim Leland uh, probably had a, a bit of a say in the situation. And I'm wondering how much of it's not just out of Vila, as much as really taking a reset of where the organization is at and where it's lacking. Uh, Justin uh, and Brandon, we've talked about, uh, oh oh, we're finally going to start doing analytics. Well, You can do analytics, but if you're not doing it the right way, you probably need to figure out what exactly you do need to do in order to really take advantage of it. Right. Um, But I think the other thing being is probably, if anything, there's going to be a good number of people that are going to be taking a look at the Tigers organization and see how it is shaped and try to figure out what changes need to happen even before you go ahead and hire the next person, the alveol the replacement. Of course, the question really becomes, and I'm, I'll finish up right here, are the people that are analyzing it the right people to analyze it? I, uh, th- that's, I'm, I'm pretty concerned. I, I have to tell you at this point, we delved into it, and Brandon, I will turn it over to you.
2: I have a whole lot different to say. I would say I'm concerned, too. The press conference uh, after Avel's firing was not inspiring is the kindest possible way I could put it. <laughs> um,
0: will, will you allow me to put it in a less kind way? I, w- I will. And, and I'm, I'm just going to be quoting your words. Um, I believe what you said to me in a text was uh, that you were not convinced that Chris Elich could name every position on a baseball team. Um
2: so, oh, you, know, you know, different people, different points of view, right. You know, <laughs> uh, well, you're yeah. not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> um, No, I mean, the, I, I think Adam, you know, I hadn't necessarily thought of the way that Adam framed it, but I think he brings up a really excellent point, which is who in the heck is advising, um, who is the brain trust around the Detroit Tigers organization these days. And um you know, I believe a couple of my other texts as we were exchanging them throughout those couple of days was you know, what was the role of A.J. Hinch in this decision? Mm-hmm. And I have to imagine there was a significant one there because while I think Avila was taking steps to move the Tigers forward from an operations perspective, from an analytics perspective, I think he was dealing with a manager who is a little bit even further to the extreme in terms of analytics, perhaps uh, to the detriment of of his own team at times when we think about what in the world has them tinkering with players hitting swings, uh, the way that they are, but that's, we'll get to that later to that. Yeah. Um, you know, you got to imagine he had a pretty big role in it. Um, and then if not him, who else, but you know, an insulated general manager search driven by your manager is not ideal. Even a manager of the caliber of aging Hinch, Uh, and it feels like whether it was the Red Wings, You know, probably had a, you know, has a significant informal brain trust around it. You know, as a franchise with just a lot, a lot more uh, kind of roots in the NHL, a tree, if you will, of, you know, know, player development guys and GMs and presidents, you know, and and retired guys, the Devolanos and the Bowmans, all of those guys still kind of in that orbit, right? And, And on top of that, Illich was able to go out and make a fairly easy decision to bring in a top five general manager that also happens to be perhaps the most beloved athlete, you know, in Detroit in the last 75 years, like, you know, the last 50 years, whatever. Like, so not so easy this time around and uh gms in baseball are much harder to come by than they are in some of the other sports and so uh i'm concerned well that's that's for sure uh this is a much
0: harder decision but what i think is interesting that parallels what you were saying brandon is that a very similar group of individuals uh, exists within the tigers organization as well um not quite as uh not quite as, you know, you can't throw out names like Scotty Bowman on the Tiger side necessarily. Although Jim Leland is definitely very, he definitely has Chris Illich's ear. And so do a lot of other guys uh, from Willie Horton to Alan Trammell to Kirk Gibson to Lance Parrish. There, there's a lot of guys that are, I think, part of that brain trust in some way, shape or form. Now, are some of them more honorary, if you will, than others? Maybe, um, but just the fact that just the fact that Illich chose to put some of these people on this payroll is very, very interesting to me. And I think they do get
2: a say. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, and those are very, very good baseball people, but they're not actually winning baseball people when it comes to running a baseball team. Yeah. Some of the guys on the Red Wing side, not only did they, were they have they built winning hockey teams, they built the wings into a winning hockey team, you know, and w- what you described are some salt of the earth baseball guys, obviously Jim Leland being by far the most successful of that group, but the rest of them are mostly relegated to have been outstanding and or Hall of Fame MLB players, but really haven't done a whole lot at the pro level when it comes to you know, building a team or, or managing a team and winning baseball games. You know, Gibby had a little success here and there in Arizona. Trammell, you know, he's in the league. He's bounced around, but, you know, it's not head coaching. wasn't necessarily his thing. So, I, I, you know, we might be splitting hairs here, but, you know, even the Lions, you know, uh, you know, they went out that Spielman clearly was a guy that was influential. Um, you know, it feels like kind of the Tigers and the Lions did a little bit of the same thing, which is, They have guys, they have folks around them that are well-respected in the league, but don't necessarily have that eye for how you might think about, you know, reconstructing, you know, a baseball team. And I think that is a, that's a tough thing. And I think the Pistons find themselves in that place as well.
0: You know, what, one question I do have is the Tigers in the last two seasons in particular have made a lot of organizational changes in terms of coaching and, um, front office staff, uh, shuffling longtime executives to much lower positions, bringing on, uh, you know, somebody like Orion Garko to to run player development, obviously continuing to flesh out analytics. And I definitely want to talk a little bit more about this, but increasing the number of people involved, you know, adding layers of staffing to to better mirror other major league organizations. It makes you wonder who all was involved in making those decisions. Because was it Avila and he was just given free reign? Or were there other um, – I'm sure there were other voices in the room, but how much pull did they really have? How much was Chris Illich involved? And I think the answers to those questions are are going to be what tells us how likely it is the Tigers are going to land – the right general manager but i don't know the answer
1: and and i think so much of that will depend yeah, upon chris illich i think understanding that he's not a uh salt of the earth uh baseball guy and that he will be uh doing his best to figuring out who who is that person that can really uh, um um uh, you know take over the situation and make sure that all the details are considered and and, and the appropriate delegation takes place And I, I I do wonder if that will take place. I, I hope I hope it will take place but I think and, and it, in the end, what it may ha- what may happen is not the most ideal situation as Brandon put out earlier is that that person might be, A.J. Hint. And that I'm a little concerned about. And and by the way, the the word that I believe that needs to be talked about in terms of who the Red Wings can depend upon is that that particular team of people are very prolific. While I don't believe that the Tigers at this point have a prolific team to depend upon to make the right decisions at this point.
0: Yeah, uh, it, it's not the same. It is definitely not the same situation.
2: And it's, it's tough because whoever takes over this team has some difficult work ahead of them. I mean, you know, just to kind of put the ball on Al here a little bit, I think what, I, what I've thought about a lot in retrospect is, you know, the, the Peter principle, right? You are promoted ultimately to the level of your incompetence. And I think, unfortunately for Al, you know, GM might not be, you know, his, his sweet spot in Major League Baseball, clearly he, he hung around for a really long time. And a guy like Dombrowski clearly valued him, uh, who clearly has his own pedigree. Uh, but it may have just been, you know, a, a rung too high, perhaps, on the MLB ladder. And he clearly had nothing help to help him around it. You know, there clearly isn't a vision coming from above him on what this team should look like. Uh, as we've discussed, he felt like he had to do a lot of house cleaning, which I think we certainly all, all felt was justified. Um, but was just kind of out there without having done this job before and rebuilding is difficult in any sport, particularly in baseball because of the way the timing works out. And Uh I I think, you know, the national articles that came out that basically said he was completely overmatched. I think that pretty much is what the case is. And um, now, now we got a lot of work to do uh, because the, the path for this team in terms of how they think about building upon this season doesn't seem clear to me. And just my last point, uh, Dustin, I'm going to actually reference another conversation that you and I had in March uh, with how much, you know, I guess I'll come at it from a different direction and saying clearly analytics weren't the Tigers' strength, uh, but clearly the analytics knew something that we were unwilling to admit in March, which is that this team was projected to win about 65 to 68 baseball games. You know, and you and I kind of were like, WTF, like that doesn't make any sense. You know, we thought about, the roster, the players, the assembly, and obviously the injuries, you know, I think are, couldn't, could not have been anticipated. And you and I may have answered this question differently had we known about all those injuries. But nevertheless, the numbers pretty much said that this was about a 70 win baseball team. And uh, they might not win 65 this year. You can track that up to the injuries, but boy, not a very good baseball team. And, you know, that's kind of where we, where we go into next year.
0: You know, I, I'm a great point. A, a really, really great point. Um, and I'm still not convinced that they were right. Um, I, I think, and, and we're going to talk a lot about this in this conversation, but I, I think that, you know, it, there's that correlation and causation connection. And, and, and I definitely want to get to that too with, when we talk about um, the, the, hit, the approach to hitting the season. But, you know, part of what, and look i i these guys are great data analysts the one who do the ones who do the baseball prospectus and and all of those all of those things you know but they had you know um regressions in pitching they had our our pitching just falling apart which i guess it did from an injury standpoint what the Tigers did that no one expected was regress in in almost a historical almost a historic way offensively, which which they did predict to a degree. Everyone expected Akil Badu to regress. No one expected him to regress by 200 OPS points. Um, that's that's where I'm like, eh, is that. how much was, of that was accurate, but we'll, we'll, we'll come back to that in, in a minute. Um, you know, I, I'm still confused, not confused, that's not quite the right word. I still don't know how much work the next general manager has to do. I, I think that's really gray. What I think the bigger issue is the lack of direction because, you know, this is something you and I have talked about a lot. Brandon, and, and we've talked about it on this show, is the, do you go out, do you continue to nurture you, uh, certain players? Do you continue to see if they're going to be successful? Or do you go out and you get the quote unquote Nick Swisher type baseball player or the Adam Dunn type baseball player who is what they are and you plug them into a spot and new recruits be damned because you're trying to win baseball games. And the Tigers have to make that shift at some point. And we're all in agreement on that. The question is when and how. And, and I'm, I'm very curious to see the, the when and how of that. Um, and, and does, does Chris Illich know the when and how? Does he care? I mean, on some level, he does. I mean, winning is better than losing. But unless you're the Marlins. But I mean, it, I don't know. I just, I, I really don't know because at the end of the day, we, here's what we do know. We know the Tigers have great pitching depth. Otherwise, They would not have survived. They might not have won 40 games this year if they didn't have great pitching depth. We know they do not have positional depth. Um, we know that some of the younger guys have struggled, but are in no way, shape, or form. Are we ready to write any of them off yet? Not any of the truly top prospects as much as, Everyone is, you know, oh my God, Torkelson's, you know, he's a bust. No, he's not. He his his first season mirrors Mike Schmidt's first season. I'm not saying Spencer Torkelson's going to be Mike Schmidt, but just so you know, Mike Schmidt hit 190 in his first full season in baseball, and he was actually older than Torkelson, and his career obviously was terrible. So, I'm not ready to write off him or Riley Green because he's only hitting 240 in his rookie season. What trout hitting his rookies anyway my point being is there's still some some real talent in this organization
2: but but i think the question though justin is is, and i think this is this is why there is only one way forward which is that at what point are you going to surround any of those guys anyone that can hit hit the ball like people are people are bagging on riley green i'm like he's got like what two other players in the lineup that are plus war like we're rolling out these trash bins next to him and like we're, we're banging on him. Cause you know, his DH is a negative almost one war right now who can't even walk. Like, why don't you put some hitters around that kid and see what he can do? You know, has Torkelson struggled? Absolutely. You know, like it, we'll get, we'll get, we'll get, get him next time. Like, I mean, he'll, he'll be fine. he will be able to come back, but, and do some things. But if you want to see what those guys can be, like you have to have hitters around them that can actually get on base, guys that can produce offense, guys that can force pitchers to throw to those guys. Because Riley Green isn't getting that many great pitches because they know he might be the most most dangerous hitter in that order. So then because how pathetic it is.
0: Oh, well, I'm not arguing you there, but what what do you do at this point as the incoming general manager? Because if you look at the guys who are in the order around Riley Green. Cabrera, notwithstanding, because that's that's its own situation. But let's—I I just want to run through this really quick, um, just just to give you a scope. Jonathan Scope this year—that no pun actually was intended. Um, Jonathan Scope this year is hitting 170 points below his normal his career OPS. Um, javi baez is hitting 120 points below his career ops tucker barnhart not exactly a hitting uh barnstorm there he's hitting 160 points below his career ops robbie grossman hit 110 points while he was here uh actually no more than that about 130 points below his career ops when he was playing here all those guys were established major league baseball players with track records of at least being decent. I absolutely was confident going into a season with those three players that they wouldn't all have historically bad seasons. On top of that, you take a guy like Jamer Candelario who finally strung together two very solid seasons and he's hitting 120 points below his career OPS. And I don't think he's as, done with his career as others might think and i think he'll still get non-tendered and that might even be the right decision i'm just saying he's going to pick up somewhere else and he's going to hit for the little bit of time austin Meadows in the lineup he's hitting 130 points below his career ops like i said but but do 200 points there is something else going on here
1: and and you know what part of the tech strike that i'm in um they're uh, and, and I really kick back on it. But there seems to be a a sentiment in this town that maybe A.J. Hinch is not nearly as good as we were sold. Now, I'm very careful about that because on the same side, we've been able to have a pitching staff that, that almost includes Brandon Lee and Justin Lee on it to be Seriously. able to be unbelievable i mean they're they're rolling out guys i've never heard of in the organization and i don't even recall justin bringing up names when he goes into his 10 minute uh, minor league uh, dialogue of, <laughs> of diker right i mean and i'm not being fair but look, i've had to but look but some
0: of these guys up myself
1: i know and and that's the whole point and and that's where i go I, on one side if aj Hinch is not here his staff's not here this team is unbelievably off the chart, awful, at least from a pitching standpoint. But Justin, Brandon, there has to be something. And AJ Hinge has to be able to, and I don't know if he's stubborn. I don't know if it's something with the batting coach. I don't know if with analytics, but you're absolutely right. There is some sort of cord in this discussion that has to be figured out in this topic has to be figured out in order to solve it immediately after the season ends
0: well and brandon said it about the analytics earlier are is Hinch using analytics to his own detriment and and i let me just set this up real quick and then brandon go ahead um but but the bottom line is earlier in the season we saw multiple articles multiple comments made in the papers by grossman and by scope about how the hitting coaches were adjusting their swings to try to hit more ideally to the confines of Comerica Park based on the analytics. And, and then, of course, you have the later Grossman commentary, and, and we can get into that because there's some other elements to it. But did this staff decide we're so smart with our analytics that we're going to teach these hitters who have had very solid major league careers a better way to hit and in the process actually screw the whole thing up? Go ahead, Brandon.
2: I think I don't want to take us off this point too far. I think I guess what, what my pushback is on what you were saying about those guys is so one one of the two things I had to give. You either want you either had to not depend on three to four under twenty three year olds to be impact players the same season, or you had to build your team around something stronger than Jonathan Scope, Robbie Grossman, and Hamar Candelario. Like no team that the rebuild is over is counting on those three guys to be the core of its stability,
1: mm-hmm.
2: you know, and I get you brought in Javi Baez. So fair point. You did try to bring in a bat like that. You, you, you at the last second brought in an Austin Meadows because I think they sensed even a sensed, sense that he had not assembled a roster that was going to be capable of doing the things that him and Chris Illich said they were going to do, but too many gambles, I guess is my point. Too many gambles, Gamble that Eric Haas does what he does again. Gambles that a 21-year-old Riley Green in center can do it. That Akil Badu can replicate what he did at still 23-24. That Spencer Torkelson at 21 can do it. I mean, it really was foolish to think that this team could win in the upper 80s in terms of baseball games and compete for a wild card spot or even in the mid-80s when too many gambles, too many gambles on that team. And we almost had to get the inverse of good luck going the other way. In order for this team to have actually truly exceeded what it did last year, or or you had to get aberrant performances like Robbie Grossman, who I think after you know everyone's calmed down for a week has realized he's still Robbie Grossman, not that great, and he's only facing lefties, so chill out or whatever. Like only facing righties, whatever the lefty righty split that he can only hit against is, um, too too many gambles, and that to me that's not a deal. In terms of the
0: record, I agree, uh, and and he's been fired. And and I'm it, just I
2: saying the program. way the way that he assembled the team was 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 fault was faulty, and I think that's to me that's I guess why I keep coming back to like that you're gonna have to pay through the nose to create the stability within the order, you know, to to get it to get it to a place where some of these young guys have a chance to thrive, you know, like especially Torkelson and Green. You know, I, I have a slightly less uh, down position on Badu, but even Badu, like. You, you got to have some guys towards the end of the order that are a little bit more consistent. To give them a chance, you know, because no he's got the most. He's got he got the most power of, of most of of anyone we're going to have with that back end of the order for a while. But he can't the ball, because you know, guys know they don't got to fear anything around him either.
0: Mm-hmm. But I mean, by by that, I mean you got to jettison Javi Baez too because he's been terrible.
2: And yeah, but when they might when his options up, I mean. You spent the money, you just didn't get it right. And you hope you get more out of him. But God, I, I think he wish he would have had a, a backup major league catcher as his DH rather than Miguel Cabrera. Because he would have had a better hitter behind him, at least for the back half of the year. I mean, yeah.
0: Well, once, <laughs> you know. yeah. Yeah. Well, Cabrera can barely move at this point.
2: Right. And I'm not I'm not trying to bag him, but I'm just saying, like if you're in the no, three hole, I mean, you, you want a guy behind you that can hit league average, right?
0: Well, Cabrera was was hitting the average for a while,
2: right? Which tells you how worthless of a stand it is, because statistically we'd be better off with a backup catcher hitting in the four hole right now. That's
0: if you're going by WAR, I wouldn't go by that because there's huge negative fielding penalties for WAR. WAR does not do a good job on DH. Look, Cabrera shouldn't be playing at this point. I mean that that is true. But that's not where the 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 problem lies the problem lies in my mind with the coaching staff because the bottom line is jonathan scope should at least be hitting 250. okay he should i mean if he had a bad season he should be hitting 245 with 15 home runs okay and so he should theoretically bounce back to there he should regress to the mean because that's how the world works And Javi Baez should at least be hitting 240, 250 with more power, Mm -hmm. Um, et cetera. Now, what's made this worse, of course, is that there is a mental aspect to this, which is what Hinch alluded to with Grossman, that when you see all these things going on, it's easy to get down and stay down. And Tigers basically blew through their top 10 starting pitchers in their organization it does have a mental impact on the team and it's up to the coaching staff to try to get through that now i I don't blame them for the look you lose literally 10 starting pitchers (laughs) i'm not mad if you're not knocking out the world and i don't think anybody is but I, i don't know The other piece of this that I guess I don't know the answer to, and maybe this isn't fair either, is look at the pitching injuries. I mean, is that an organizational defect? Because I'm almost inclined to put more heat on Avila and the people he assembled for that issue, and maybe this isn't fair, than some of the others. Because, I mean, for the love of God, think about how many Tommy John surgeries have we had. I mean... it's more common now that clearly trends are all headed in the direction of more pitching injuries. The shortened COVID season didn't help. The shortened spring training didn't help. So yes, confluence of things, but my God, the surgery that Scoogle just had, Boyd had the year before it was a surgery I'd never even heard of prior to that. We have two pitchers go out on that, but five Tommy Johns that I can think of off the top of my head. And I think a few more, Below that organizationally. Like, what? Uh, something here is just in, in multiple thoracic outlet surgeries, um, repeat inflammation issues. Something here isn't right, period. Tyler Alexander started the season getting killed, and granted, he didn't do well the other night, but he started the season, if you remember, just getting killed because he changed his pitching motion, because his elbow was bothering him, but he didn't want to tell the staff, the coaching staff. How did they miss that? How do they not see that this guy has a different pitching motion? And that's why he's getting shellacked. That's garbage. That's absolute garbage. And I think fetter has done a great job as a Tigers pitching coach. And you can't catch everything.
2: But I, I don't know the only know. thing the only thing i think that's fair I'm, i can't argue with any of it i think the only thing i would say is that in the modern mlb and i'm even talking t- over the last 10 years rebuilding through young pitching you're more likely to incur these outcomes you know we had talked many times that between scuba manning and mize so one was going to have time of job yes. potentially again in one of those instances right you know so we had talked about that for years and i think it's just a risk of it's a risk of that kind of development. And, and so I, but I do take your point that the multitude of injuries, you know, was it that, you know, my Tammy, Tom, John should be the biggest surprise. Well, it shouldn't be, unfortunately. And that's a bigger conversation about what baseball is doing to young arms more than anything, but you know, it's, it's a, again, gambles. So, you know, waiting. And I think this, and this isn't necessarily beating up even a Vila about it, but just, the mindset that like in one season you can flip a switch and decide to be competitive, that you're not building better incrementally. You're not making the deal for Austin Meadows, even if he wasn't available last year, giving him a season to develop while he's also making guys better around him because he's a slightly better player than you're fielding in a rebuilding. But no, they waited and said, Oh, it's time now, you know, and then let's think we'll make a couple of impact free agent signings and it'll all just be better. Like, there is something to be said for that cohesion, and I think baseball in, in particular struggles the most with it, and it's not just the Tigers. There was a great long-form article about rebuilding on ESPN+, Plus, and that used the Tigers as an example, as an entry point to what constitutes a successful rebuild. Uh, and it's you know still in that three- to four-year range, and one of the criticisms was is that teams don't incrementally improve their team over time because they're just trying to let all of the young guys and see what they can do with reality, they need to be, we're not paying enough attention to cohesion chemistry, you know, giving the guys an opportunity to learn a baseball park from like Comerica offensively, defensively clubhouse culture, right. You can't just flip that switch. You know, and I think that's something that, you know, the new GM Adam really has to consider when they come in, because who do you, who do you build this team around Adam? I don't you know, know. you're the new G, and that's why I think it's hard, and that's you know, that's why I put it out there like, you know, position from a position player standpoint, who are you building around.
1: I want to go on the chemistry part because I think, if anything, and I mean, we all after a while we get pretty sick of the uh, 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 remembering the 1984 Tigers, but what you just brought up, cohesion and chemistry, that might have been the best thing that that team had. Al of course, which is pure baseball all round talent. But, but in general, I think that the chemistry, and we've learned over the years, the chemistry of that particular team is probably one of the great things that that, that was brought out of that. And whether that be Jim LaJoy, whether it be Sparky Anderson, um, uh, I did, did I, or Jim Campbell or Bill LaJoy and uh, Sparky Anderson or other people in the corporation care about that. I knew I, I got talking too much. Uh, but, but the whole point being, that's and to your and to specifically answer your second question. You know, I think you do. You have to build up the middle. It has to be second base. It has to be a uh, shortstop and it has to be, uh, uh, you know, in center field. I think they got their center fielder in Riley Green. I really do. But now you've got to make some critical decisions. And I, I, you know, and, and you guys kind of alluded to it earlier, Javi Baez. I mean, it clearly has not worked or, or as of right now, it, the, the optics does not look very good. Saying that, if you could get someone to protect him, especially considering uh, where he's at and who's protecting them, it, it might be a it might be a better situation than what we're seeing right now. But in general, you get where I'm going here, and that even includes catcher. Um, you know, I, I'll tell you some of these teams they have you know are are really building a foundation, are really understanding you have to go out and get a catcher. Uh, and so many of these teams, uh, and and uh, yeah, that's uh, that's uh, in my in my response.
0: Any thoughts on who the next general manager might be?
1: I'm not going to tell you I've delved into all the names, but my general feeling is it should be someone either from the Dodger organization, the Braves organization and maybe even crazy as it sounds, maybe the Orioles organization is is with the way they're building that team out. Uh, But those are the type of organizations I'd like to see, uh, you know, maybe some of their, uh, you know, lead people will be brought in and give, but, but, but Justin, I think the, the other conversation that has to be said is that, and, and, and I think you even alluded to it, that there's been big changes in the front office, but, Hoping that not only are you bringing in someone who's a great talent evaluator alongside being able to see that chemistry and cohesion, but also someone that understands what, how the organization needs to be set up, because I think that probably is um, a, a big thing. And you know what? And, and the other thing, too, what I don't want to hear from Chris Village or anyone that's here is the, uh, uh, oh, oh, you you maybe would consider getting rid of A.J. Hinch. Uh, we're not interested. No, 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 no. no. If you're going to bring in someone, you have to be open to that possibility. If it's a very well thought out, researched opinion, if this particular organization, because at this point, I don't believe I'm, as time goes along, I get less, I'm giving AJ Hinge less and less benefit of the doubt, not drastically, but just enough to make sure that I don't, leave any doors unopened
0: so one name that's been thrown out from the Dodgers organization is Josh Burns um he worked together closely with AJ Hinch when they were in Arizona he was the GM behind the very solid Cleveland Indians and very good Cleveland Indian teams in the 90s and uh early early aughts um then went over to the Diamondbacks and has been with the Dodgers for six, seven years, I think, um, as their VP in charge of player development and analytics. So that's an interesting name um, to throw out there. Um, other than that, I don't really have much in terms of, of where I think they're going to go. I guess getting back to a more practical standpoint, what do you do with the rest of this season? Um what they have been doing is really running the same lineup out there most nights, just giving certain guys the opportunity to play every day. Um, obviously, Riley Green's out there every day. They're finally giving Victor Reyes the chance to play every day. Um, and I think, well, strangely enough, he and Harold Castro have probably been the best overall players, which, again, goes to the state of of things, because both of them are reserve players, maybe platoon players. That's their ceiling. Um, and, you know, they're trying to give, you know, a few other guys some at-bats. They're doing the same thing in Toledo. Normally in Toledo, they, they shuffle the lineup every night. They're letting guys like Cameron play every day, obviously Torkelson um, and a variety of others um, just to see what they can do. But any thoughts on what to do with the rest of the season?
1: I think Justin, they have to, I don't know what they need uh, in terms of their overall coaching of hitting needs to have some change. I do do anything, but ch- change how you're doing things. And, and I just experiment. You have four weeks where that's what you can do. Torkel's going to probably get called up in the September call-up as okay, he should. And, you need to understand that maybe a little bit of a different approach needs to be made. I don't know what that is. I don't know if it's going back to Arizona State games and and, and watching how he hit the ball there. And the same thing with Riley Green. going. And actually, Riley Green, I think, is just a young guy at this He'll point. Torkelson is the guy that I think there needs to be a little bit more of a hands-on, more of an understanding about what he's done in the past and where he's at now. And see what what small changes can be made, and not and not just go by the, the the hitting analytics book. Do what works for those people. Um, that's my takeaway. Uh,
2: so I actually have a differing opinion. I do not believe they should bring Tarkelson up. Uh, that doesn't have any bearing on if they will or not. I don't think there's anything to be gained from it. You're just gonna just a buzz up It's all he's gonna get. He's just going to get thrown right back into the bus lot. Let him stay down. Let him hit down there. Let him figure some things out. Obviously, there's work to be done. But to me, you bring him up and you, you take him down the path of Akil Badu, which is that, what do you do with that guy right now? And, like, famously not on board with him, looked stupid last year. You know, I, I obviously don't think he's as bad as he was, as, as the stats have played out this year, clearly. But you kind of backed yourself into a corner with him, you know, and now you're, you're throwing him up there every day, and he doesn't look quite as lost, but pretty bad. Pretty bad, you know. Do you, you send him down to Triple A again? It doesn't feel like you know. But if you keep him up, are you basically saying what are you looking for from him? Like you know, if you send him down, like that doesn't help you decide what to do with him next year. At the same time, leaving him up doesn't decide help you decide what to do with him next year because he's going to get obliterated because they don't have a major league lineup.
1: Well, uh,
0: and I'm actually confused a little bit what they're doing with him because they're not playing him every night. Right, maybe he'll go two, three, four days without playing, and I'm like, unless you really think he's that outmatched, which may maybe, maybe, um, you kind of let him play because he went down to Toledo and he played like an all-star AAA player, so we know it's not, it's not just mental. Uh, there, there is something else going on here that he is unable to currently make that jump to the majors. Um, whereas with Torkelson, he's basically. He's hit better in AAA because obviously, but he's not been great. He's hitting 215 no. ish. What have you? So, uh, and and with some power, better but not great. Not great.
2: It's, yeah. No. And and another reason is that. But and he is the kind of guy that my I believe my argument around the cascading effect of the quality of this lineup is perfect for because while he was amongst the absolute worst hitters in baseball in his time here, he actually got on base a fair bit more than a lot of the other established professionals on this roster because he actually does have threatening power that you have to respect. And they learned to pitch around him and they learned to make him look silly. But if you bring him back up next year, when ideally you have figured out either how to fix the swings or stop messing with them, or you've gone out and got different people that can hit the ball, one of those two things happens, bring him up Give him a little bit of protection, and then let him see what he can do. You know, with some guys around him that other teams fear. You know, and so that then that's where I'm a little bit more protective of him. Like I think Riley Green has a different skill set as a hitter uh, that allows him to get by. You know, in a different way than Torkelson can. Yeah, for sure. So, so uh, you know.
0: One other thing that will be good, I guess, for the rest of the season is the fact that Eduardo Rodriguez is back, and he's looked very, very solid. Um, and honestly, the, the pitching staff has done such a, such a remarkable job. You know, guys like Garrett Hill, um, you know, uh, Drew Hutchinson, kind of an unsung hero. He's been DFA'd about 26 times in the last two seasons uh, and just keeps coming back out there. Um, the bullpen has been very, very good. you know, some of their weaknesses have been exploited of late, but they're still really solid. And so you, you have to do you do have to take some some solace in the fact that this year a Manning's last couple starts have been just electric. Um, you, you got to feel good at least about some of those things. Um, so I do I did want to say that uh, before we, we moved anywhere away from there, um, and I did have another point that has escaped my mind.
2: Well, I guess I'll well, I can fill the air for you in a minute. I meant to text you the other day, but didn't. That to me, the 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 Erod starts are probably what the second best thing that's happened to the Tigers this season. I mean, just in all honesty, like the second most encouraging thing you can honestly say is going on here short of maybe Riley Green and, and Cabrera hitting, you know, 3000. I mean, that's how sad it is, but he looks like the guy they paid for. Mm-hmm. And actually he, he said, kind of started looking like that guy before he, he disappeared too. He had a couple of decent starts uh, before in May before he went out. Um, but like if that guy shows up again next year, okay. Like you can begin to take a deep breath. If you bring him and Manning back, get some of the other young guys healthy. Obviously Mize is, is gone for a hot minute probably scoogle as well but you know you you can begin to build something
0: oh one thing i did want to say about torkelson also this is his second professional season in baseball um and i think that's an important point to remember for folks too is he literally had one season in the minor leagues prior to this um and and there aren't many players who can come up into the majors with that limited of minor league experience um and just be gangbusters i mean you're talking about names like miguel cabrera like i mean
1: uh, i i don't think it's a rare the, thing and justin no, because if it was i i think the thing for torkelson and the support of he'll be all right is the fact that the whole roster has basically forgotten how to hit the baseball that, well, that's, that yeah. and 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 that's where I don't have a concern about Torkelson and to answer and maybe give you a better answer is whatever you're doing for hitting right now for a strategy. Stop. Don't, <laughs> don't do it anymore and bring in something different. I don't care what it is. I don't care if it was done in the seventies on the A's or the, the big red machine, but, but do something different Because you are categorically and historically abominable. And whatever you're doing needs to be junked. It doesn't even need to be recycled. It's not even worth that much. Junk it. Burn
0: it. One last uh, little (laughs) bit of data. (laughs) Look, you're right, Adam. The the, the
1: third last for you, but go ahead. The the
0: third (laughs) last bit of data is, interestingly... Um, you know with analytics these days they track the flight of baseballs and the distance of baseballs based on hitting situations temperatures elevation etc comerica park this year for all players at comerica park tigers and opponents the ball travels almost 10 feet less per at bat than everywhere else in baseball um the average in baseball. And that entire 10% is chalked up to environmental factors, meaning they don't know why. And I thought that was also a really interesting stat. Because like, for example, Coors Field, ball travels further. We know why, because of elevation. Uh, Seattle, moisture reduces the um, travel of the ball. And they can account for that mathematically. America Park, they really don't have an answer because temperatures have been generally normal and um, elevation is, you know, very normal in this area. So the the next lowest is Seattle, who's basically, you know, it rains all the time and and on average it's five feet less than normal um, for the average at bat in Seattle. So it, it's, a, it's a really interesting thing. Is it just because of the Tiger's awfulness or is there, again, something else going on? Um, you know, when you consider this is also opponents as well. So just another thing. And the fourth last thing is there is a stat called Bacon. Uh, when it comes to <laughs> Brandon's attention, there's oh, a hey. <laughs> there, there's a stat called Bacon as it, Pertains to uh, the traveling of a baseball. Um, it's a new stat, like three or four years ago. So I, I was, I'm like, ooh, I can look up
2: the bacon numbers. You know that Danny Vogelbach certainly has. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, like, but even Seattle, Seattle's got like a bunch of 23 year olds that are hitting like 24 home runs. And Julio, <laughs> Rod- Julio Rodriguez, you know, it's like 12. It's got like twenty-one home runs and sixty-five RBIs.
0: Oh, Bacon is batting average on contact. That's what Bacon is. Anyway,
1: crispy, very crispy,
0: very, very crispy. crispy. So, staying in the world of baseball, though, really quick, um, and on the obituary front, Vin Scully passed away. Um, without question, we talked about him when he retired. we talked about his call uh the hank aaron uh seven fifteen home run um the best the best there ever ever has been and ever will be most likely in terms of baseball announcers um, just nothing but admiration for him so
1: the the thing uh when he did pass here a couple weeks ago I have to tell you it it was almost uh regret that i've had over the years from the standpoint that um I, I you know especially with his career uh he actually moved over to NBC because he got passed over uh after calling maybe one of the pro- most prolific calls in nfl history uh, uh joe montana to joy clark uh and then also uh had done five or six masters and then he got passed over by pat summerall um it showed really, in all honesty, the complete gentleman that he was, because I think he probably could put up a little bit of a stink. Uh, but he never at any point talked uh, at all negatively about Pac uh, unlike a, a good number of other people. Uh, and then in the meantime, you know, then. Uh, getting passed over, and, and, and to think about it, right, he gets passed over uh, when baseball goes from NBC to CBS, uh, where then um, uh, fate then comes in play, uh, and, and baseball eventually, because of who uh, replaces him, Jack Buck comes in to do the games on CBS, which then eventually becomes a guy that always sounded like he wanted to be any place but at the game, and Joe Buck. Uh, and I really do believe as well that I think that Vin Scully not being able to call national games in the '90s was a great detriment after the strike. Um, and uh, you know it, it it that was the big, but again, the big thing with then was, and he came across as the nicest guy of all time. And I just was reading a story here recently where. He, he, he missed the call. He misunderstood when he was going to be on the radio for an interview, called him because I apologize. I'm at the grocery store and I'm, I'm, let me just give me a call back in 10 minutes. So he gets to the car he's doing the interview, but he's talking to the producer. He says, I only have one big concern. And he says, are are you all right? Well, I left my wife to do the grocery shopping and we have a great disagreement on the right way to pick an avocado. He says, let me take three minutes and explain to you the right way to pick an avocado. And I'm like, I would have loved to hear three minutes from from Ben talking about an avocado. I absolutely would have. And so there you go
0: vince scully joe garagiola um Mm -hmm. i mean Mm -hmm. my god what a what a what a tandem and i just hope that current future baseball announcers just listen to vince scully on a loop and the way he called the game so you can understand cadence and understand that you don't have to fill every moment with breathless statistics And, and obviously ernie harwell was great at this as well um and, and how you can tell stories and, and you, you weave a baseball broadcast. You don't blurt it, if you will. Mm-hmm. The other um, obit from the time that we've been off was uh, Bill Russell, who just passed away not that long ago. Um, one of the greatest basketball players of all time. Uh, not even quite sure what else to say other than he was just dominant for the 10, 12 seasons, he uh, he was in the
1: NBA. Two championships as a player coach, that's unbelievable in my estimation. Uh, but as you listen to people talk about Bill, uh, the thing that they say is that his basketball uh, was secondary to the way he carried himself as a black individual, especially in the uh, city of Boston, where he was carrying those teams to championships and they couldn't have been um, that there, there were so many stories of that were so disappointing, uh, from a human nature standpoint, of things that happened to him uh, that shouldn't happen to anyone. But and not that I, I think Bill would tell you he's not special, but for a guy who was able to give the city of Boston as much as he did from an athletic standpoint, he deserved infinitely better than what he got Uh, and and he continued to live his life to his last breath with total class and uh, and those who really are with a half a brain uh, really came to respect him as a person more than what his basketball game was and I think that speaks volumes
0: yeah 11 total championships in his career (laughs) 13 seasons Um, that's just Remarkable. yeah
2: it there's no there's actually really no way to describe how good he was mm-hmm. um and you know he he also had a string i believe it was either 10 or 11 seasons where he played 70 games or more in a row and that lasted up until his final season which he almost played an entire year and as a late 30 something guy with you know 11 to, you know 13 seasons of deep playoff basketball behind him i think was still averaging almost 20 rebounds a game uh, which is just absurd. Uh, and people often like to point back and say, oh, in that era, in that era, in that era, this is the guy that had to guard Wilt Chamberlain. Going to act like he wasn't playing against, you know, people that weren't any good. Like this was the guy that not only had to guard, but had to shut down Wilt Chamberlain and did shut down Wilt Chamberlain for the majority of Wilt's career. I think Wilt only got one against the Celtics uh, and famously lost with Jerry West to the Celtics in Russell's final season. Um it's hard to describe how good this guy was. Adam touched on his, his off the court uh, accolades, not only how he carried himself as a player, but then essentially serving as one of basketball's best ambassadors for, I don't know, another 55 years after he quit playing 50 years up until very, very recently. Um, you know, I, I believe even in the beginning of this NBA season, Bill Russell was a part of the 75th anniversary event was still being interviewed was still out there conducting himself the right way and showing up for, for uh, the NBA in, in a way that few other people can, you know, as an ambassador. So uh, two, two pretty special guys. Yeah, very much so. So Bill Russell, just to,
0: to emphasize that point, his final season, he actually played 77 games in um, so he played 70 games or more, except for his first two seasons. Um Almost every season, including his final season, he played at least 40 minutes a game. Actually, most seasons he played 42 minutes or more. Final season, 42.7 minutes per game. He averaged 19.3 rebounds in that final season. Um, just he, just almost unfathomable statistics in, you know, while, while not the current modern era, you know i guess i compared to baseball and you look at some of the ridiculous baseball numbers but you're talking turn of the century this wasn't that long ago um and, and basketball there were a lot of great basketball players when he was out there um so
2: and he did it amongst them i just decided to go to the stats guy too for fun uh you have to remember he also played another two and a half seasons of basketball in the playoffs yeah good point And averaged 16 points and 24 rebounds across 165 playoff basketball games. It's pretty good. Same.
1: And, so, and you know what? Bill knew he was good at it. And I think at the 75th anniversary or when they were getting a uh, or some sort of big man uh, uh, um, uh, commemoration, he, he made sure to tell everyone, including LeBron James and Michael Jordan, that he would have kicked their asses, too. So um, <laughs> so I think that uh, I think that kind of wraps uh, Bill up pretty well.
0: Absolutely. And uh, if I were them, I would have been like, yes, sir. Yes, you're, you would have um let's uh jump into football real quick um i suppose we can talk about uh everyone's favorite um hometown team whose exhibition pre-game shows preempt tigers baseball which this season i don't blame them um but anyway
1: and NFL's king, that's how you look at it, but uh, yeah, they'll get underway in two weeks. Like I guess I think they're are, are they playing now against the Steelers? We're recording this. I don't even know, but uh, I think they play later, actually. But uh, no, I, I I will say that the one thing that's kind of shocking is it, it, I'm I'm almost uncomfortable with it. Is the you know usually there's a little you know a fair amount of optimism here locally uh, going in each season, more more often wrong uh, for for the wrong reasons. But it seemed like the nation. Uh, the national football scene, uh, uh, you know, the national press has been um, uh, rather high on what they think that this team can do this season. Um, I don't recall in my whole life seeing any of that. Uh, and I, I certainly wanted to, to, to call that out uh, as something that, uh, um, I, and at this point, I, I don't necessarily have a prediction for this team. I think Vegas has them as an over under a six and a half win or five and a half wins. I would go six or seven. I, I don't, you know, and because I think his defense is terrible. Um, but uh, um, but the, the optimism is very notable um, and yeah. very weird.
2: And I think um, even for the most cynical uh, and uh, uh, negative amongst us, it's impossible not to like Dan Campbell. Uh, it is impossible not to, to appreciate the way the guy shows up on hard knocks. And, and I don't actually think that he's all that different, even outside of the editing room. I just think that's who he is. And I think you got to respect it at some level. You got it. You got, you kind of pull for the guy. Um, You know, I actually think uh, they're about a seven win team, but they're also, you know, you play 17 games now. Right. I mean, their schedule is unbelievably easy. Um, They really should be able to run the ball. Even if DeAndre Swift, struggles and regresses a little bit, they still should be able to run the ball. They have a really solid offensive line and both running backs are, have some talent and can do some things. They should be able to run the ball because they'll have a slightly better passing game because they have professional level wide receivers now. Um, so, you know, but again, I, I think my bigger issue is, is one in the way Adam pointed out, structurally deflawed and deficient defense, particularly at linebacker. If people get out outside of that defensive line, God help them. Um, it's it's going to be trouble. Uh, truly, truly wretched set of linebackers. And with the Lions, what the, the incremental progress, and this is where the cynicism come back, and means nothing to me. I mean, this is a team that, with Matt Stafford, had a couple years, only one or two, where the national media lauded them based on their talent. They don't have nearly as much talent as some of those Stafford teams. When this team can actually win eleven games more than you know twice on, in four seasons, somebody call me. Until then, you know, I think it's a team that's going to go up to seven wins, maybe eight, see what they do next year. If it's anything like normal, they'll regress back down to five or six. And then we're back in the same cycle of death forever with the Lions. So um, interesting things to watch on the offensive side of the ball, but not much I would expect this team to do, you know, of, of note.
0: Hard to argue with that.
1: I can't argue with it. Period. I, I, I'm, I'm totally on board with what he says, um, uh, and, and, and to his point, and just to emphasize, the, the linebackers are super young. Uh, they looked lost last season. They got really just basically destroyed. Um, and I, I'm very curious uh, how if there is any improvement this year. So,
2: Adam, if I buy the plane ticket, will you agree to drive Jared Davis to the airport?
1: Oh, I'll buy it. I'll buy everything, I'll and buy I'll try. It. <laughs> so, don't okay. Worry. okay, I'll pay no. for gas.
2: I mean, I'll pay for the gas on the plane.
1: Right. right, right, right. I mean, I mean, you know what? Here's the thing. I have no problem to bringing him in just to kind of see what he's got because maybe Aaron Glenn is overly confident about his skills of being able to turn players into better players. Um, but to your point, I don't even know if he'll make the team. I, and I've, I've seen a couple of tidbits about him not being even making the team, which I think they like Rodriguez. They like, uh, they, they do think that Derek Barnes is getting better. Uh, and then there was talk I think in the Indianapolis game where he was actually, they put him down as a down lineman. Uh, he was not a linebacker, uh, which, if you really think about the way he plays, it, it almost makes sense if you're going to keep him to do that. But I, I to your point, I I think you you could do better at giving Rodriguez, pl- uh, you know, plays right away if I'm understanding his potential based on other people's commentary. So
0: I think I think it's worth noting that the tiger or tigers lions official depth chart for defense. List their base defensive package as a nickel with only two linebackers. Um, I right. think that gives you a, a really solid take on how they feel about their linebackers. Uh, it's most, a strategic thing too. I right,
1: right, right, right. But do. but 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 most teams at this point are doing more of the uh, five, yeah. uh, you know, more of the nickel coverage. Anyways, like what they did for years in New Orleans. Where we're finding it here. Uh, They did some of it last year, but they're probably going to be doing way more of it this year uh, just because they think that they can be more effective. And they think that their line, their defensive line, as bad as your linebackers are, their defensive line should be actually uh, very respectable.
0: I think the prevalence of the slot wide receiver. And linebackers can't cover slot receivers, also has something to do with it. But yeah, thanks.
2: We'll just take this a moment to just send a special shout out to Bob Quinn and Matt Patricia for uh, (laughs) providing us with Jared Davis, first round draft pick, might not make the team, and Jeff Akuda, who's currently a backup. Thanks a bunch.
0: Wasn't Akuda a three? Wasn't he a three overall?
2: Yes. 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 Mm -hmm. Yes. That corner. Yeah. Yeah. Mm hmm. He's sitting behind Will Harris on the duck chart. Okay. Yeah. Thanks.
1: Yeah. Bob and Matt always listen, by the way, just to let you know. So Yeah. And Matt seems to be burning it up as office coordinator for Patriots at this point. They're already, they're, we're not even in the record season. The Patriot fan base is already, they're they're, they're done with Matt being there. So oh. they will
0: be I thought he was still just special assistant to the special assistant.
1: Uh, to... Well, I think Bill has not named an official one, but I think Matt has called the offense of plays the last two games. In pre- uh, okay. So. Gotcha. Gotcha. Gotcha.
0: All right. Uh, before we get out of here, do you want to touch on college football at all? Um, U of M quarterback situation.
1: Uh, Brandon, I will defer to you here.
2: There is no quarterback situation. There is Jim Harbaugh insistent on sabotaging his own career and anyone's opinion of him as being anything other than a quack. Like there's a controversy between the guy that dropped 42 on the Ohio State Buckeyes and took the team to a playoff. Who's only had no t- time, but get nothing but better. Versus JJ McCarthy, who literally fumbled away the Michigan state game. Like, yeah, J.J. McCarthy has outlandish physical talent, but who cares? Cade McNamara took that team to 12 wins. He beat Ohio State. He crushed Iowa. He didn't turn the ball over at critical times. He is better than he was last year. And he has, in my opinion, the best set outside of Ohio State, the best set of offensive skill players in the Big Ten. And I think one of the top, maybe top 20 offenses nationally. They just are loaded on the offensive side of the ball. Their, their line isn't quite as good as it was last year, but they are loaded on the offensive side of the ball. And you would mess around like, hey, what is this game? You know, like, and they're lucky that, that uh, Jim only lined up garbage teams for the first three games of the year, which is another thing. We don't have time to get into the absolute trash schedule that he assembled for them in non-conference. But what, what what I, this quarterback thing, Adam, it just doesn't make any sense to me. It's just absurd.
1: You know, Jim is Jim. Is Jim. Right. And 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 Jim will continue to be Jim. Uh, and guess what? There's no check and balances with 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 the, with Jim uh, at the University of Michigan. And there'll all continue not to be any check and balances with him there. Yeah. Right. Um, the I, what I, I never know. I don't know if the alumni loves them, that they hate them. I mean, I, you know, but the point being is that let's be honest, he went in and, and uh, last season where the heat was as hot as it was and he made it happen. I mean, to the point where, I mean, all of Ann Arbor was euphoric for like a month after that, that Ohio state game didn't even matter what they did against Iowa and and winning that game. right? Right. And of course, and let's be honest, I mean, you getting railroaded by Georgia didn't matter, right? Because you still beat Ohio state and then Georgia went on and, and I mean, they just, they they dominated. They forgot how to play one game, okay. But the rest goes on, and and uh, um, and as long as that happens, I'll tell you. I, I think, and I don't, you know, my takeaway, and I'm not going to tell you. I I dig deep into the Athlons and all the you know the things, but you know, I'll be very curious how Ohio State is this season, and we're going to know very 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 quickly on Saturday. Uh, where they did line up a, a halfway deacon team in Notre Dame and, and good for them um, but I'm curious because I think especially as much as they lost uh, and I know they always reload, but I you know you just wonder um, and, and then that defense was so uninspiring last season um, that uh, it, it'll be interesting.
2: Um, yeah you, you bring up a really good point about Ohio State everyone is predicting Ohio State. To just come back and, you know, finish two or three, make the playoffs, crush U of M, crush Michigan State. I'm not quite so sure. And while I think that Ohio State, if I were to bet, would I bet on them against Michigan at home? Of course I would. But this idea that they're just going to walk over everyone. I don't know that they get out of Michigan State with a win this year. That's a tough place to play. Like, I, their defense, I mean, Hassan Haskins broke them. Like, he broke them. I mean, Ohio State's lost games before, obviously, very few of them over the last 10 years, uh, including some very big ones where they've lost by big numbers. But they got broken in that game by a, by a running back in that offensive line. And there is nothing to suggest that Michigan will be any less potent offensively. In fact, I think they will be better offensively than the team that showed up uh, this year against Ohio State. Now, again, uh, you know, lots of things can happen. You know it's in Columbus. I'm not saying Michigan's going to win that game, but I I, I agree with Adam. I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that Ohio State just runs through the Big Ten. Uh, I they got a lot of work to do on that defense. A lot of work.
1: And if I understand it, Vegas in the country thinks because Kenneth Walker left Michigan State that all of a sudden Michigan State and Mel Tucker are not a good team. I boy, I will tell you, I I think you better. I think Mel especially knowing how much of a role he played in that Georgia team to sit there and, and malign Mel Tucker. Um, I I would say right now be careful doing that.
2: Yeah. And I don't know that they're, I don't think they're going to win 11 games. And I think that's what a lot of people are pointing to, but they're going to be a very difficult team to beat, especially at home. Uh, they got a very solid running back out of the transfer portal. They have a very good quarterback coming back and Mel Tucker is an outstanding football coach. Yeah. Um, you know, and yeah, they may lose three games, but one of those nine wins they get or more could be against the Michigan could be against an Ohio state. They can beat yeah. either one of those teams.
1: No, I, you know, and Justin, honestly, I think the good news is that we actually have in Michigan, Michigan state, and even the lions entertaining football team here in Michigan. And I think, uh, and when I think about the lions, they're going to score a lot of points. They're going to score I think a boatload of points for but the gonna, teams, but, but they're going to give up a lot of them too.
0: So. Okay. Fair.
1: Right. Right. <laughs> they're going to give up a lot too. Um, but when you talk about Michigan and Michigan state, I think you have two very good programs. Yeah.
0: I was just exactly what I was going to say. Their programs are very healthy and that can only mean enjoyable football to watch yeah. with, with occasional heartbreak uh, thrown in. So college football season kicks off. Uh, Labor Day weekend Uh, Michigan play or Michigan State rather plays on Friday at home versus Western and Michigan starts on Saturday against the powerhouse Colorado State uh, at the big house Um, and by the way in case you were wondering if you would like to reserve your tailgating spot for the Michigan game just go to uh, their website and you can reserve your tailgating location all right then i think that's gonna wrap it up as brandon is making faces um that's gonna wrap it up for us for this edition of the saturday sports emporium um yeah next time out we're definitely going to want to talk about hockey we'll see how tiger season is winding down lions will be started um college football will be underway uh, Pistons will be just starting to get ready to get going. So we definitely are going to want to look at their off seasons. We talked to the Pistons a fair amount last time around, but um, still things to cover in that part of the world. So for Brandon Lee and Adam Swenson, my name's Justin Lee, and thank you for listening to another edition of the Saturday Morning Sports Emporium.
2: Bye. <laughs>